Assalamu alaikum. On this episode of the Tastier Podcast, we're going to be exploring gap years. What are they? Why should you care? And how can it affect the trajectory of a Muslim spiritual life and the community at large? We'll be hearing from a student, a parent, a college advisor, and a chaplain to piece together a full picture. We'll also be talking to the faculty behind Taysir's one-year signature program that has sustained its popularity in large part due to the concept of a gap year. And if you're not familiar yet, Taysir is a seminary based in Knoxville, Tennessee, offering one- and two-year Arabic and Islamic studies programs. Just in the U.S., over 40,000 students take a gap year each year, and that number is growing as college counselors and employers find it not only acceptable, but sought after. In fact, gap year students are more likely to graduate on time than their non-gap year peers, according to a study by the Higher Education Research. And this statistic raised a lot of questions for me because thinking about just a decade ago, the idea of taking a year off after high school or in the middle of college or after graduation to do something not school related didn't seem like it was on the table at all. I would hear about some people doing it, but it seemed like it was for privileged kids to go travel the world and find themselves. But today, young people are realizing that the one-year gap is not only an option, but a necessary step when transitioning from a teenager into adulthood. On this subject, I talked to Hannah Elmasidi, a current student at the University of Tennessee who attended Taysir right after high school. Growing up, your parents teach you and you go to Sunday school, but it's hard to build your own personal connection with Allah, so I really wanted to focus on that for a year before I went to college, and I know that you can get dragged in so many different ways, so I wanted to have a foundation before I went into that. Hannah's motivation to enroll at Taysir, a decision that she said felt urgent for her, pushed her to graduate high school a year early, even though her guidance counselor warned her that it would be difficult. When I asked her how people perceived her decision to take a year off for seminary, she had this to say. SubhanAllah, every time I have an interview for an internship or a job or a club or anything like that, whenever they look at my resume, they will ask me about Taysir more than anything else. Even though it's just one year out of all the other years and things on there, at first they're a little confused. They're like, wait, so are you like a pastor now? And I'm like, no, it's not really about that. But they're always curious, like, why did you take a gap year? And not in a condescending way, but they're genuinely curious and they always really, really respect it. They think that it makes you more well-rounded and that it shows that you care about your identity. I think it makes you stand out in a lot of ways. According to Omar Bajwa, Director of Muslim Life in the Chaplain's Office at Yale University, there's a shift occurring in higher education. We're seeing a variety of issues. Some people just don't feel that they're intellectually or emotionally or psychologically ready for the burdens of college. And I think a gap year is a, some people see it as an enrichment or a way to continue developing, exploring. And then on the other end, post-college, we're living in a time now for different reasons. For some people, it's economic. It's very tough now. The job market is quite challenging for college graduates. And some people feel the stress of senior year. If they don't have anything lined up right away, whether graduate school or a job, they just need a break in some senses because college is so intense. I can imagine 
that admissions officers or astute admissions officers, I may say, when they're looking at an applicant who's coming from a Muslim background and that they commit to a year of, for example, of doing a gap year and what I would term it as an enrichment year, spending time really engaging in serious intellectual study into community building and community work into personal spiritual development. I think that that's a net positive right? Because it shows a commitment and seriousness that the student is bringing. Because admissions officers are looking for a couple of things, basically, right? They don't want cookie cutter candidates. They want people that have at some level come from overcoming some sort of adversity through their experience. Colleges have always favored unique, well-rounded candidates. That isn't something new. But what's changed is the factors that are steering young people and Muslims in particular toward exploring their identity. Bajwa cited heightened Islamophobia, xenophobia and hatred as some of the forces young people today have to reckon with. And so these are young people that are in high school in very formative, intellectual, emotional, psychological, spiritual times of their lives that have been exposed to this, right? It's very toxic in that sense. And so they are coming into a world where there's a lot of anxiety and uncertainty about what am I going to face when I go to a college campus? And that's not, we're not even talking about grades or about the academic rigor that one should expect lower down in terms of the list of issues that they have to face. I think it's a matter of acceptance. Am I going to be accepted? The interesting thing here is, am I going to be accepted by the broader non-Muslim campus community if I am identifiably Muslim. And then I think within the Muslim community, the intra-community anxieties and dynamics are also at play is that, am I going to be Muslim enough, right? Or am I going to be too Muslim for this campus? I think these are the things that students struggle with, really finding that place of fitting in and belonging. It's challenging and my heart goes out to them. This reminded me of something Hannah said about her experience when encountering ideas that contradicted her faith in college. In college, a lot of the modern ideas are contradictory to what we believe. And I think if I hadn't done Taysir, I would have really had no idea. A lot of it is very subtle and it's just repeated to where academia makes it seem like it's just basic facts when that's not what we believe. So I think it's really important to know what you believe before you get into that. I see a lot in my classes that I'm able to challenge and whether that's internally or sometimes like I'll actually approach the professor. So now we have a small glimpse of what it's like to be a young person in 2023. I want to go deeper into the options for a gap year for Muslims and to use Taysir as a case study. Here's Ustada Zainab Ansari, a core faculty member who has been at Taysir since its inception in 2014. You come to Taysir and you receive a really good inoculation against a lot of, I pray against a lot of the fitna and confusion that's out there. And there is a lot that indeed that we are responding to, whether it is the troubling rise of agnosticism and atheism amongst our youth, whether it is confusion around issues of gender and sexuality, whether it's Islamophobia, whether it's dealing with negative Islamophobic propaganda around our textual sources. We'd always envisioned Taysir Seminary as offering multi-year programs. That was really the thinking from the outset, and it's still the thinking. But then your theory has to collide with or interact with reality. And, you know, the reality is that the students coming to us in many cases 
only had that year because they were maybe they had left college to come to Taysier, or maybe they were between college and graduate or professional school. Perhaps they wanted to get back on the career track. Maybe it's an older woman who is for the first time really doing something for herself and only has that year to really focus on this and has to go back to her obligations. It's really kind of about accommodating the needs of those students and the overriding demand has really been for the one year experience, which we actually started to research that further to see what's, what, what is this all about, this idea of doing something for a year, taking a gap year, because it's a term that kind of kept coming up. And we realized, well, there are actually other religious communities where they have something like a gap year. The Mormons, for example, have a year where they send young people out into the world to do kind of like missionary work. According to Asada Zainab, the Taysir curriculum is ideally a two-year curriculum that's been condensed into one. I asked her if historically the Muslim world has ever seen a one-year knowledge model before. Early Islamic education was quite fluid in that the very earliest educational environment was circles of knowledge in the prophetic mosque, right? So they're not really dealing with books or curricula or anything like that at that time. This is that transmission from teacher to student, from guide, from the prophet, peace upon him, to the students within the context of Masjid Nabawi and Ahl al-Sufa. This was an area of the prophetic mosque where people would learn Quran and even literacy. So that early model very much emphasized direct teacher-to-student transmission, where the knowledge is, it's not knowledge that's decontextualized. You're taking that knowledge along with the insights, the hal, the spiritual state of the teacher as well early Islamic education is quite fluid, it doesn't really become more structured and consolidated until two to three centuries later. So then when we, for example, move into the Umayyad and Abbasid eras, that's when we see more formalization of Islamic education. Then you begin to differentiate between young learners and older learners. You have curricula that emerge. You have the establishment of schools that are actually not in the mosque, but kind of adjacent to the mosque. I think the one-year program it's a recognition of the reality of modern life that very few of us are going to be able to embark on a rihla, a journey overseas, and sit for years at the feet of traditional ulama. And alhamdulillah, there are some who have been blessed to have done that, but the reality is that for most of us within this context, sometimes that year is really all we have to focus on, getting the building blocks to set us on that journey towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My sense of this is that the one year gap year experience is pretty unique, it's pretty unusual. And the reason why I'm saying this is because one of the things that my teachers really emphasize and a lot of my fellow students when I was in Damascus many years ago is that this is a lifelong journey. And mastery of the Islamic sciences does not happen in a year or six months or even a few years or even sitting down with one curriculum that Mastery of Islamic sciences, it's lifelong, it is a labor of love, it is quite interdisciplinary, it requires travel, discipline, sacrifice. So the one-year format is really designed for the needs of a young person, or young at heart, who wants to take one year to focus on those fundamentals, on those basics, on their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in terms of our students and their feedback, we realize that this is actually really, even though you call it a gap year, it's not a stopgap measure. It really is actually filling a legitimate need of our students. Ustana Zainab explained that as Taysir transformed from weekend classes 
in the masjid, to a foundation, into a seminary, the goal was never to create a self-contained gap year experience. The goal, she said, was to go back to the building box for every Muslim. To present our Islam properly, we have to make sure that our students are learning how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a manner that is sound and consistent with this amazing juristic tradition that we've inherited. So classes like fiqh or Islamic jurisprudence or ahkam, legal rulings, rulings pertaining to ibadah, to tahara, were definitely a must-have. When it comes to iman, then that means having classes on aqidah, on theology. And when it comes to a must-have is a class on suluk, on Islamic spirituality, which, by the way, it was never a class on Sufism. I want to make that very clear. It was, from the very beginning, this was a holistic approach, i.e. that when a student would come to Taysir, that he or she would really be able to receive a very good comprehensive introduction to the core Islamic sciences that would be infused throughout with an understanding of prophetic spirituality. And remember, to educate a human being, it's not about, okay, let me kind of gain practical skills and go out and earn money. I mean, the idea is that you really want to cultivate a human being that's well-rounded, that's balanced. And it's really much more about the life of the mind and the heart more than anything else. And I would say to a professional that might be wondering, okay, what's the takeaway? Why should I step away from my career for a full year and do this? My answer would be that life rarely gets easier or or more leisurely or more or more relaxed life inevitably gets busier even if we are not thinking about islamic studies on the level of formal training or mastery or really kind of in-depth study that i think a lot of us there's this yearning that we still have to sit with the hadith to you know, hear the voice of the Prophet, peace be upon him, if you will. There's this yearning we have to learn the Qur'an, and not just for ritual purposes of our prayer, but just to really be able to recite this book in a beautiful manner, as is befitting of, the, of this revelation. There's this yearning that we feel in this world where we're inundated by a lot of information, but very little of it is beneficial knowledge. So there's this yearning we really feel to connect to something that's very clear and beautiful and pristine. Think of it as where you are really taking time out to cultivate these needs and aspirations and yearnings that offer come from the innermost recesses of our soul. That's what the program is all about. It might seem like it's a simple thing, but what an amazing experience to be able to start every morning with dhikr, to be able to pray in congregation, you know, with like-minded seekers, to pray qiyam al-layl, to learn what a prophetic day of ibadah actually looked like that to me even outweighs the academics i think all of us deserve to have some time away from the busyness of the dunya to really cultivate that which connects us back to that eternal reality At this point, I'd like to hear the point of view of parents. Nearly 25 years ago, Sister Nassim Omar of Atlanta, Georgia heard a lecture by Sheikh Hamza Yusuf in which he stated that he would require his sons to take one or more gap years before college. Inspired by this, Sister Nassim encouraged her five kids to take a gap year at whatever institution made the most sense to them. One of her daughters, Alia, is currently a Taysir student. 
stuck with me. And I was like, I'm going to make my children grow up thinking like that, that it's not going to be the norm of going to university. And after that, you're going to go do four years of college and some more college and more college and then go to work and be married and life goes on. I would have liked them to take some time off or wherever that would be. But before they start working was a vision. And so we started talking to our children about it. And our eldest uh, did not facilitate right after high school, but she took right after university. She took a year off. She didn't get into work or anything like that. And she took a year to go to Bayana. And that was so profound because what she came back with and how it had changed her was just amazing. But before that, our son, you know, I, we, we talk about this stuff every time at our at, at home. And we thought it would be really good if he would like to take uh, some time off and do the hits of Quran because it somewhat had that in him kind of thing. And so we said, let's try that. So he was in eighth grade going to uh, start out high school and we decided to take that time, that opportunity before he gets to high school to take a few years and do his. That was also another profound thing where he really learned to be away, although it was very hard for us, but he took some time. We let him do that and and came back different, came back learning, you know, having this Quran with him. And it was, again, it, it changed our lives and our perspective and the thinking. And again, like we, we've always talked to our children about it. We wanted our children to immerse themselves physically in Dean around the righteous companions, righteous shiuks, to learn from them face to face. And that was our requirement. Our requirement was that they get that appreciation of how rich our Dean is. How else are they going to get that? Because they didn't get that. Nobody gets that at Sunday school. You go there for an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever. It's a, it's a drop in the ocean. It doesn't really teach you anything. Adin is so profound. There's so much to it. There's so many facets to it that even if they come out with one fraction of what they were immersed in, because there's a lot that they cover, there's a lot of material, but it's just amazing to come out with that feeling of all of the Islamic scholarship, that my deen, to be proud of that deen, because there's so much, it's timeless, it's an answer to everything that you have. And just surrounded by all the amazing companionship. I'm not saying that when they're out and not in this environment, they don't have, but I feel this is a very special companionship that they get exposed to, which I feel at university, anywhere else, that don't get exposed to that. So they also get this other, all of the other beautiful humans that they're around. It also humbles them. It grounds them. They also get to realize that Islam isn't just about books and the haram and the halal. People out there also love the outdoors and they're fun loving and they can joke around when Alia started we made sure to let her know that we don't expect you to come back as a scholar. There's nothing like that. Even if you get a fraction of the beauty of what the dean has to offer, just being around the feet of the scholars, I think it's a win-win situation for us because it is a lot of material. And each child absorbs it differently and they come out with it different. Maybe there's a seed that got lodged and then five years down the line, it's going to germinate and they're going to sprout and they'll give in a different way. If you yourself are a parent who's still skeptical about all this, it's understandable. There are so many considerations young people have to take in these times. So I asked Ustada Zainab on her personal take, especially as a parent herself. 
I've actually been thinking about my own children. May Allah preserve them. And what does their journey look like, especially after high school and as they think about college? So this is actually a question that is very relevant for me. I would say this to parents. Whether your background is your family immigrated to this country, maybe for economic prosperity or political freedom, or whether your background is that you converted to Islam or maybe your forebears converted to Islam so you're indigenous to this country, this is what I want all of us to understand. That the presence of a Muslim community in the United States of America is not an accident of history. Again, it is not an accident of history. This is from the Qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you find this sizable and relatively affluent Muslim community in the United States of America in a corner of the world that they didn't even know about 1400 years ago. And I would say, dear listeners and dear parents, ask yourselves this question. Do you really think that Allah Ta'ala placed a portion of the Ummah of Muhammad وسلم, in America so that we would just live in the suburbs and have nice houses and go to nice schools and get a cushy job and make money and that's the end of it? Do you really think that's all Allah Ta'ala wants for us in this context? Let's think a little bit more deeply about why we're here. Let's think of those enslaved West African Muslims. Sometimes we only kind of in, in, invoke their memory during February Black History Month, but you know, it should be Black History 365. Those people surely made dua that Islam would be restored to their, their descendants. And we are their descendants. Even while we might not be their descendants through bloodlines or biology, spiritually we are all their heirs and their descendants. And how do we honor their legacy? And how do we honor the sacrifices of those Muslims that immigrated here and they established Masajid and the organizations that advocate for all of us? How do we honor the legacy of African-American Muslims who inherited that civil rights and human rights struggle? So I'm putting it on the level, my dear listeners, of we need to have greater aspirations for our ummah in this country than just going to school and getting a great job and having a nice paycheck. And I think that's where the gap year experience comes in. Because when you send your young person, even for your young person, by the way, who's gone to an Islamic school, maybe K through eight or even K through 12, when you send them out there into the call, it can honestly be like throwing a sheep to the wolves. We really need to think about this. You're putting this, and, and again, I'm not saying don't go to college. I'm not, this is not what I'm saying. There's much that is of benefit and, and good in that environment. But what I'm saying here is you want to be able to equip your young person with the tools they need to understand who they are as young believing men and women. And I don't think we can do that in a desultory random fashion. I think we need to be a little bit more systematic about how we achieve that. I think we're living in times where we as parents, as teachers, as elders, as caregivers need to understand the challenges that our young people are going through and we understand them with empathy. We can oftentimes be very hard on our children and hard on our younger generations. Um, and so we should definitely have that empathy and patience with them. They are facing unprecedented challenges right now. 
Some of this is just part of human nature and growing up, but there are some unique aspects of being a young Muslim today in the United States that, uh, that I'll tell you, someone who grew up here, that I didn't face at that time in my life, you know, so I'm mindful of that because I see it every day. My wife always reminds me the beautiful hadith of the Nabi Sallallahu is that when kindness is added to something, it only beautifies it. And whenever it's taken away from something, it only becomes defective. And for us as teachers, as mentors, as parents, to remind ourselves to have that kindness and empathy with the young people because they are desperately in need of it and searching for it because it's a very harsh world out there. As much as we want to see our children be successful in a dunyawi sense, academically, professionally speaking, is that that we cannot do that at the expense of or to the detriment of their spiritual development because we owe that to our children, right? Because it's a disservice if we don't offer that to them because trust me, the institutions, the colleges, universities have no interest or capacity whatsoever to do your children's tarbiyah. And in fact, it is very, I would say, even corrosive in many senses to that. So if you're not, and I'm not investing in developing that Muslim consciousness, developing that Muslim mentorship, developing that cultivation of that spiritual strength and resilience, then please believe me when I say that the college and universities are not going to be there for them to do that. They're not in the business. And I use that very deliberately. They are in a very different business. I'm just saying this from someone in the trenches for 15 years that's seen it up close, has seen really amazing stories, and has also seen some heartbreaking stories of where it hasn't worked. Taysir is now one of many programs that cater to young Muslims who want the in-depth, immersive learning experience. But in the mid-90s, when chaplain Omar Bajwa was seeking a program of study, he said there wasn't anything like it. So he had to find private teachers who would create an independent study just for him. I think now the exciting thing is that there's actually structured programs. And I think that there's a big value to that. For most students who don't have that much exposure coming in, there is a lot of value to a structured curriculum and literally going, working foundationally and then building your way up from a beginner level to ideally to an intermediate level that you can accomplish in a year to give them the talim and tarbiya is how I would frame it. Mashallah, we come from an intellectual and spiritual tradition that has the idea of tartib right? That you learn things sequentially in a certain order that has been, you know, really refined by generations and generations. And that, that is a gift that our ummah has from our ancestors. And so we should benefit from that and continue to use that. There are some children, to be very frank, given the work that I do, I work with 18 to 30 year olds on a daily basis, is that there are people that are very book smart, that have amazing standardized test scores and APs and all of that, but they just are not very mature yet. And that's another conversation for maybe another time is why these some sometimes bifurcated where they should be together. But that is a reality that we see on the ground. I travel to campuses all over the country and I see some very intellectually and academically, I would say, talented students that, to be very frank, lack just personal maturity and common sense. And I'm not knocking them because it's very hard being a young person today and it's very hard being a parent of a young person today. So what I'm trying to say is that to have an honest assessment of your family situation and your child and to think about using a gap year enrichment year program, or maybe less if that's what works in your circumstances, 
to give them that maturity. Because if it's a good program, they're going to do not just talim, but they're also going to do a, a portion of tarbiyah as well. And that tarbiyah is really what I would say sort of a refinement of the heart, right? The uh, spiritual cultivation, really the emotional uh, intelligence, the spiritual intelligence that comes from tarbiyah, from good teachers to prepare them as they go then to college and face the challenges of college. I'm not intending to say that, you know, that uh, I want to be fair, that everyone has to do this. I think that there's tremendous value and benefit to it. And the people that I've seen that have done it, it's across the board been, mashallah, very, very valuable. There are certain things we learned at Taysir that maybe I didn't fully grasp during the year, but the year after and the years after, a lot of things start to make much more sense. I just want to emphasize how important it is to have your foundation and be rooted no matter how far you go or how many times your iman goes up and down. As long as you have your foundation and you have your teachers and your mentors and your friends who will hold you accountable to make sure you have the right intentions and just to put barakah in that journey and allow you to keep doing it for the sake of Allah. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. We hope you learned something new. If you'd like to learn more about the seminary, visit tasierseminary.org and be sure to follow us at Taysir Seminary on Instagram and on Facebook. We'd also love to hear from you. Contact us at media at if you have any feedback. We'll catch you next time. Assalamu alaikum.